0: verse this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and in verse number 18 For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness but unto us which are saved it is the power of God From this verse and from other texts today I want to preach on this thought, the power of Of the cross. Thank God for the cross of Calvary, the cross which Jesus bore. That was my cross that He bore in my place that I might go free. And I rejoice in it, amen. So I want to linger around Calvary this morning. Father, would you help us this morning to preach the Word of God in the power and in the demonstration of the Spirit of God? Would you cleanse me of sin? Would you empty me of self? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you give me an unction to preach this morning? Help us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. Preacher Darren, it seems like these last few weeks, every time you get up on Sunday morning and sometimes even on Sunday nights, it's the cross, the cross, the cross. Preach to us something different. Preacher, I I can't. The love of God just constrains me to preach about the cross this morning. I stopped to realize the Bible says that he came into his own and his own received him not. And to those that are lost, the preaching of the cross is foolishness. But if you're saved today and you know that that cross is the power of God, then then you won't mind me preaching on the cross one more time. In fact, you might even ag me on a little bit and say, preach to us, preacher, about that old cross that made that difference in our lives. Amen. I'm turning now back to the book of Luke chapter 22. The book of Luke chapter number 22. And I want to pick up reading in verse number 14. Luke 22 and verse number 14. And when the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. They're they're going into the upper room. They're they're about to observe the Passover. You and I know it as the last supper. When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine till the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in likewise, this do in remembrance of me. Likewise, also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. <laughs> for you. For you. You see, that cross he bore for me, and he bore that cross for you. I'm interested in that verse 14 where it says, When the hour was come. Think about it. He, it's the hour of the redemptive suffering of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It's the hour that eternity past has been looking forward to and it is the hour that eternity future will never forget, amen. Jesus is standing here with his disciples under the shadow of the cross. He's probably 13, 14, 15 hours from his death and he says, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you. And he said, this is my body, which is, Given for you, this is my blood which is shed for you. Verse 21, but behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. He came into his own and his own received him not. He's been talking about the cross, but the cross to some is complete foolishness. It makes absolutely no sense. It is filled with mockery and ridiculousness. But for you and I that are saved, it is the splendor and majesty of the forgiveness of Almighty God. Two points today, and I'm going to be done. When I look here in Luke 22, first of all, I see the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross. Jesus, when he, he finishes there at the table, they get up, they start singing. And he goes off into the garden. They all went with him to the edge of the garden. Peter, James, and John went with him a little further into the garden. They, they go into that garden. The Bible says in verse 39, And he came out and went as he went to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples also followed him. And when he was at the place, he said unto them, Pray that you enter not into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. First of all, in this preaching of the cross, we must consider this uh, place of the cup. Jesus, heartbroken because his very own disciple is going to reject him. And he knows there'll be many, many others that will not receive his love and receive his gift and receive his work upon the cross. And he's heartbroken. He also knows he's about to partake of a cup. It's the cup of the bitter dregs of my sin. And your sin. He goes into that garden with Peter, James, and John to pray. And he says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. You may say, Preacher Darren, he's shirking back, he's drawing back, he's shrinking back. He he doesn't want to go to the cross. He 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 listen, Jesus is not afraid. My Bible says in John 20, John 12, verse 37. Jesus' words, for this cause came I into the world. John 18, 37, to this end was I born. For this cause came I into the world. This is the plan and the purpose of God. This cup he's about to partake of is descriptive of all the sins of mankind. And he that is holy, sinless, and harmless is about to drink the bitter dregs of those sin. In fact, not only would he drink that, but he will be made our sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So here he is holy, pure, and righteous. And for three hours, if I studied right, he labored in that garden under such an intense burden being made sin. He that knew no sin, that is sweat, became as great drops of blood. This is not just a figurative place of speech, but little blood is coming from his sweat glands. Capillaries are rupturing around his sweat glands, and blood is running down his face, oozing from his body, being under such a burden. It is that cup, the place of the cup there in Gethsemane. He was going to partake all of our sins. Praise God for that. And he said, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. I'm When I think about the words I've said and the actions I've committed and the things I've done and how Jesus not only knew, was aware of what I've done, but he was made what I've done. It's sobering. It is humbling. It is, oh man, it is crushing to me to know that The awfulness and the ugliness and the the horridness of my sin. Jesus was made that. And he was willing to take of the bitter dregs of our sin that we might be saved. And then in that garden we know as he humbles himself down, prays for three hours, sweat as great drops of blood, he says to his disciples, rise up and let us be going. Behold, he is at hand that doth betray me. And here comes Judas. And all those leaders and those soldiers and Judas kisses Jesus on the cheek and walks away. Oh, he would have kissed the shed blood that was oozing down his face. He kissed it and said goodbye. And they arrested Jesus. And they took him. Look with me in John chapter 19. Not only the place of the cup, but I want you to see the place of chastisement. They took him before Annas and before Caiaphas and before the Sanhedrin and they had trial after trial after trial before the Jews which they were all illegal and they finally said listen we we found him guilty because he said he is the son of God. Well he was and they took him and brought him before the Romans to stand before Pilate and Pilate sent him to Herod and back to Pilate and on and on and on and on and look with me in verse 13 John 19 verse 13 The Bible says when Pilate therefore heard that saying he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. This place, Gabbatha. This place, the pavement that we're speaking of here. It is a place where Jesus stood before Pilate and Pilate found no fault in him. But he thought, okay, We will uh, have a custom that we can release unto you a prisoner. We can release Barabbas or, 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 or we can release Jesus. And the people said, give us Barabbas. What shall I do with Jesus? Crucify him. What has he done? He's guilty of death. Crucify him. We don't want him. We reject him. He came into his own. And his own received him not. And he's been telling them about a crucifixion that was coming up. He was going to die on the cross, but they did not care anything about it. So Pilate takes him. And the Bible would tell us that he has Jesus scourged. He would have taken a leather whip with nine straps to the end of it. And on each one of those nine little straps was bone, glass, metal. And it would be beat into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of those Romans would start at the head and would whip him and beat him down to his toes. The other one standing on the other side would whip him from the toes up to the head. And they beat our Savior and beat our Savior. And when those leather straps hit, no one does it, no one does it strap him. But that, that glass and that, that metal grabs the flesh and rips maybe two inch sections loose. And our Savior's body was lacerated. The blood was running. They would have tied him to a whipping post to stretch his skin as tight as it could be stretched, and they beat him and they beat him. If it was 39 lashes, that would be 351 separate cuts, and each cut is estimated to be about two inches 702 inches of cuts on our Savior's back, down his side, up his legs, and thighs, and calves. He was beaten, his, he was beaten and beaten. And beaten. And finally, after they... Listen, this is the Romans given the, the beating. There's no Jewish law that says 40 stripes save one. They could beat him 80 if they wanted to. They beat him and they beat him and they beat him more than any other man has ever been beat before. Again and again and again, my Savior was beaten in that place of chastisement. And then... They would have taken him and let him loose off of that whipping post, and he's collapsed to the ground. All he can do is barely wince or move. Everything hurts. Everything is bleeding, and they—he can maybe barely even crawl, barely still alive. And they've taken Jesus to this place of chastisement. He that had suffered, uh, he that had committed no sin, suffered in my place, in your place. It ought to have been us getting the beating. When I lived at home and I got in trouble, my daddy would get ready to spank me and I'd say, but daddy, the neighbors did it too. He'd say, but I ain't the neighbor's daddy. I'm your daddy. (laughs) Oh, help us, Lord. And I'm telling you something. Jesus suffered in your place. He took your punishment. He took your beating that you might go free. The place of the cup. And the place of chastisement. Read with me back to the book of Mark. We're reading in the book of Mark, Mark chapter number 15. Mark chapter number 15. I want to begin reading in verse number 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and he delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. And they called together the whole band. Now look this up. What is a whole band? It is a garrison. What is a garrison? It is 400 to 600 soldiers that have gathered around. So here is Jesus. The Bible says that the soldiers in verse 16 led him away. In other words, uh, he couldn't even walk hardly. He, he could barely crawl. They pick him up from that place where he's been bludgeoned and beaten. And they threw a white robe on him which would have begun to absorb that blood and begin to, to try to dry up and mad. And they take Jesus and they bring him down to this place of cruelty, this place called Praetorium. And 400 to 600 soldiers have surrounded him. And the Bible says they clothed him in verse 17 with purple. They ripped off that white robe that he had. Think about it. Have you ever been cut? And maybe you wrapped it with. I got a little cut on my finger here, and I bled like a stuck hog. It hurt so bad. I'm telling you, I cut into that whatever that is right there, and it blood was a squirting across the room as the doctor was trying to sew it together, and it hurt so bad, my little thumb. And they had to put this big old bandage around it. And I would would walk and go places and preach revival. And I would say, well, I'm just going to tell you, this says you ought to to go this way if you're saved. But if you're not saved, you're going to go that way. I'm just telling you, I hurt so bad. And I had one little one-inch cut. My Savior had at least 702 inches of cuts on his back. And they led him away to a place of cruelty and they ripped off that white robe. I mean that gauze sometimes in my little finger there after they sewed it up, it would that, that blood would mad and dry and you take that gauze off and no, oh, it just feels like it's opening afresh and anew and Jesus they ripped that robe off of him and made every wound that he already had to open up again and the blood began to shed and they put a purple robe on him. Purple for royalty. They said hey! You said you're the king of the Jews? We'll see about that. They ripped off that white robe. They put on that purple robe to begin to make fun and to begin to make sport of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. These special forces, the special guard of these Romans, they're making fun. And the Bible says, then they plotted a crown of thorns and put it about his head. Those thorns are between three And five inches long. They're not those dry ones that are brittle and break. They are new thorns that are like ice picks when they're placed upon his forehead and about his neck and around the back of his head. Don't you know that they cut into that skin? They went into those ears, those nerve endings that are so sensitive about his face and over his eyes. And then the Bible says that they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him on the head with a reed. Not these little broken reeds that you see growing down there at the pond, but those ones that's like a cane pole that I used to go fishing with my grandpa with. They would have taken those that are some of them like a two by four, and they would have smote him and driven that crown of thorns down on his, look at me, Preacher there, oh, no, don't talk about it. It's so gross. Listen, it's so gross but it won't draw you to the altar anymore. It's so gross but it won't woo you in love anymore. It's so gross that you become so gospel-hardened. Listen to me. The preaching of the cross is to us that are saved, the power of God unto salvation. My Savior was beaten bloodied and bludgeoned and bruised in our place. It merits my love. It merits my thanksgiving. It merits my acknowledgement. It merits me dealing with it today. It merits me saying, oh God, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Am I getting through to you this morning? Amen. When they would have hit him on the head, driving that crown of thorns down, he would have pierced maybe through his brow. Would have went maybe through one side of the ear into the other. He would have went down across his nose. I'm talking about Jesus and this crown of thorns. And they bow. And they said, "Hail, king of the Jews. <laughs> Hit him again, boys. And then to make, look with me in the Bible. To make insult worse, add insult to injury. They did spit upon him. Bowing their knees, they worshiped him. They hocked one up and spit. The wicked, putrid, spittle of awful men spat upon our Savior while all he was doing was taking their sins upon himself that they might be free. And what did they do? They spat on him. They rejected him. They made sport of him. They blasphemed him. They took issue with him. And I tell you, there be some that live amongst us today that to this very day they'll spit at the name of Jesus. They can't stand this name, Jesus. They reject Jesus. But I'm telling you for me, I I love him. I'm so glad that he's received me. I've been accepted in the beloved because of the cross that Jesus bore. Praise his holy name. My Bible would tell me they plucked hairs out of his beard and maybe some even off his, off his head. I'm telling you, just to pluck one little ingrown hair, it hurts so. they plucked and plucked. Look with me in the Psalms chapter 22. Thank you, Lord. In the Psalms chapter 22. This is a messianic psalm. We're talking about that garrison of soldiers. I mean, it's not just one or two guys that are doing it. We're talking about four to 600 men that have surrounded Jesus. They're slapping him, beating him, playing blind man's bluff with him. In fact, I believe the Bible says that they blindfolded him. You know why? Because when he looked at them, rather than look at them, you you imagine how somebody hits you and, man, you give them that dirty look Man, if I get loose, I'd black your eyes, I'd bust your nose, I'd fatten your lip. Let, but when Jesus looked at him, he looked at him after they slapped him with, I love you. I love you. And if you would break ranks with these other four to six hundred men, I'd forgive you right on the spot. I'd save your soul, you'd go home forgiven and redeemed forever. But man, their pride just wouldn't let them. And we see in Psalm 22, I think there are at least three animals. That our psalmist mentions here, that compares this these animals are compared to this garrison that surrounds Jesus in Psalm 22. Uh, help me, Lord. Look with me here in verse 12. Many bulls have compassed me; strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round. These bulls of Bashan, you know what these bulls would do? You would see these big old bulls that would run and butt people and stomp on people and throw people. Uh, They would group together, wild beasts. They would group together and they would try to isolate a little animal. Say, maybe there's a lamb that is astray. Maybe there is a lamb that's separated from the herd. Maybe there's a lamb. He's the lamb of God. It's all by itself. And they would surround that little lamb, run around and around and around. And that little lamb would watch them it would turn to watch them. And when the minute they, he, it, it turned its back on the group that's running behind it, the bull would run into it, and hit it, and knock it. And then the group would continue running. And they'd come down with their head and they'd hit it again. Every time it looked the other way, Jesus, as he faced this way, somebody would punch him from behind. Somebody would spit on him from the side. Somebody would hit him over the head with a reed. They were mocking our Lord. The bulls of Bashan come past him round about. And yet I submit to you that he is so in control of this situation. He could have said, "Father," and God would have sent 10,000 angels to defeat those bulls of Bashan right at the He could have spoke his word and they all fell down on their face. He had such power, but he suffered this humiliation by these bulls of Bashan so, so that you might be set free. Not only the bulls of Basham, verse 13. My Bible says, they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. You know, a young lion, not an old lion, but a young lion, what he'll do is he'll get his prey. He stalks his prey. He corners his prey. And then he roars. Roar! Which brings shivering and terror to the, the little one he's surrounded. Let's say that lamb. Uh, is is surrounded by these pack of lions and they're roaring and the Bible says they their mouths they raven upon him. That means they bit at him. Now, can you imagine that lion? He'll toy with his prey. He'll go and he'll, he'll bite it and bloody it here and he'll bite it and bloody it there and he'll paw at it and hit it with his claws and knock it back down again. I'm telling you that those four to six hundred soldiers that day, these Bulls of Bashan, these, these lions that have surrounded our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They, I really believe the Bible says that, the, uh, that they gnashed upon him with their teeth. They, they literally would have taken his and bit him and spit out maybe a chunk of flesh or, or put bite marks all over him. Lord God, can you imagine somebody biting Jesus and prophesy? who smote thee, prophesy, who bit thee. They bit him and they struck him over and over again. And this psalmist didn't stop there. He says in Psalm 22 in verse 16, he said, for dogs have compassed me the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. You know what a pack of dogs will do when they find one that they're stronger than, one that they think they can defeat. They'll surround it, bark and bite and nip at it and try to tear it limb from limb and yet let it live so they can make sport and laugh at it. He said, they've compassed me. They're surrounding me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet oh yes now I'm thinking about this crowd how they the Bible says back, back to Mark when they had mocked him verse 20 they took off the purple from him and put his own clothes on him and led him out to crucify him they stripped him of that purple robe again and threw his own clothes back on him what little he had and they led him back out towards Calvary to the place the fourth one the place of crucifixion we find it in John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We know that to this point, going through the place of the cup and the place of chastisement and the place of cruelty, that Jesus has suffered much loss of blood. He's been beaten, bloodied and bludgeoned. And the Bible says in verse 16, John 19, 16, Then delivered He Him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth unto a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. After all this bloodshed, all this pain, all this torment, this garrison have made such mockery. They put a cross upon him. Oh, Preacher Dan is just a cross beam. I'm not going to argue with you whether it was a full cross or a cross beam. But let me just submit that if it was a cross, it's probably 12 to 14 feet long. It weighs between two and 200 and 350 pounds laid down upon our Savior. Can you imagine all the cuts, all the bruises that are now upon his body? And now he's carrying this cross through the streets of Jerusalem outside the city where I believe they compelled one named Simon Cyrenian to carry, you, they said, carry his cross. And Simon never took it away from Jesus. Simon just got under the other side with Jesus. Are you under the cross with Jesus? They would have taken him up Calvary's hill. They would have laid that cross down there and they would have took of their victims and would have stretched their arms open and they took Jesus' hand. I mean, he, those hands that have went around doing good, the hands that touched the blind man and caused him to see, the hands that broke the loaves of bread and dispersed it to a crowd of 5,000 and fed all the men so they all had plenty. I mean, fed everybody there. The the, the hands that that had healed the leper, the the, the hands that, that formed everything that is, they took those hands and they drove a nail through the hand and the wrist itself into place that would suspend him, both hands to hang him there between heaven and earth and then they would have taken his feet, one foot to overlap the other and right in between at the top of your ankles where the foot comes there is a place that they have found that they could take one huge spike nail and if you're really good you can drive with one blow at nail through both feet And there's our Savior hanging on the cross. And every time he tries to breathe, he's dehydrated. It hurts. He tries to sink down, but it puts pressure on his hands. There's a pull and then a push. And every nerve, everything in his body is suffering. Every area of his life is being brought to this one point and he is suffering such pain and yet he is so in control. He could at any time said, I'm coming off this cross. But he said, Father, not my will. But your will be done. The only way to save sinners down there in Spruce Pine at Bethel is you must die for them, son. Not just any death. Oh, preacher Darren, just shedding his blood a little would have done. Oh, he could have pricked his finger. You remember on the eighth day he was circumcised. That didn't save anybody. Right. Hey, Amen. There had been blood shed on the eighth day. I didn't say. I'm telling you, he shed his lost blood right. upon that cross. Amen. He says, "Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do." He says, woman, behold thy son. And says to John, behold thy mother. He says to the thief who said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into my kingdom. He says, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He said, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? Can you imagine? For the first time in all of eternity, father and son are separate. Preacher, it's impossible. Okay, if you're a theologian, you figured out. What does the word forsake mean? He turned his back upon his own son when his son was made my sin and your sin. Cursed is every man that hangeth upon the tree and he was separated my God my God he said I thirst they tried to give him vinegar and or they tried to give him uh, some things that were mingled to sedate him to, to try to maybe ease his he wouldn't have it he says it is finished he didn't say I'm finished it's over What have I done? He said, it is finished. I've shed my blood. I'm yielding myself to death. I am paying the price. I am propitiating myself to appease the wrath of Almighty God that Darren and anybody that calls upon Jesus might be saved. And he says, Father, he's back to Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head And he gave up the ghost. He was crucified at 9 a.m. All these events on the cross, six hours. Till 3 p.m. he hung and suffered. Can you imagine that open, lacerated back? Every time he pushed up or had to sink down as those splinters of wood, that raw cross, rubbing into those Open, lacerated wounds. Preacher, quit talking about it. I can't quit talking about it because there's nobody ever done anything for me like that. Nobody ever loved me like that. Anybody else would have said, oh, no, I ain't going to his place. You can do it on your own. The way you've acted and the way you sin and the way you cussed, you do it, do it yourself. You're getting what you deserve, but no, not Jesus. He said, step aside, son. I'll take this for you. And it wasn't just a snap of the fingers. And it wasn't just a little thing. It was six hours of suffering on that cross. And at 3 p.m., he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. I like what the songwriter wrote. There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Amen. I think, secondly, point number two the power. Of the cross. They ran a spear into his side and out came blood and water. Joseph of Arimathea begged for the body of Jesus. They took his body down. That bloodied, bruised body they anointed his body with spices. They, they, they put ointments on it. They tenderly wrapped his body and they placed it in a tomb. They rolled a stone over the tomb. Pilate said, put a seal all the way around it with my signet and put 16 of the Roman elite guard from that garrison that tormented him to stand guard duty so that no soldier will allow anybody, a disciple or whoever it is, to come and take away the body of Jesus. We're standing guard. Nobody is getting out of that tomb. He's dead. And we mean for him to remain dead. There leaves his body, behind the seal, behind the garrison, and behind the stone. But what happened to Jesus? Where's his soul? Where is it at? I'll tell you what happened. Did you know that for about 4,000 years, since Abel was the first one to die that believed God, he came by the blood. When a man dies or a woman dies, they go to paradise. And Abel was the first one to go to paradise. It was at that point in time a great gulf fixed between hell and the paradise section. And Abel goes to paradise. Adam, Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Noah, Moses, David, Daniel, just to name a few. And finally one day there's an old man by the name of Simeon who'd been living in the temple. He died and he goes into that paradise section. Age doesn't hold him now. He said, hey, are you the one we're looking for? No, my name is Simeon. But the one we're looking for just was brought into the temple and my arms held him and I lifted him up. Just in a little while comes another praising God and shouting, are you him? I'm not him. My name is John the Baptist. I baptized him down there at the river. (laughs) Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And right now he's ministering upon the earth. Y'all just hold on a little longer. He's coming. Just a little bit enters another. Are you him? Woo! Glory to God. Hallelujah. Bless the name of Jesus. I'm not him, but I'm the dying thief. I just hung beside him on the cross he just said today he'd be with me in paradise. And about that time a great light shone and in walks Jesus, glory of God, and all the paradise lights up. And he says, y'all come with me. We are getting out of here. And he led captivity captive and brought them home to heaven. He gave gifts to men and the hell has enlarged itself. I'm just telling you that's what Jesus was doing while his body lay dormant there in that tomb. And after 71 hours and 59 minutes and 59 seconds have passed, the next second, there's a rustling in the grave clothes. And he just stepped out of them. He took his napkin and he folded it and said, I've enjoyed my stay. One day I'll be back, but not here. <laughs> and he took one more step. Right through the stone. Right through the grave. Ooh, Lord of God. Right through all them soldiers. He walked out victorious over death. Victorious over hell. Victorious over the grave. He had power to lay down his love. He had power to take it back up again. Preacher there, and you're getting loud. I can't stand it. I can't control my excitement nobody's ever cared for me like Jesus, amen three women or maybe four or five come to the tomb weeping, going to anoint his body but there's a stone there, what we do and when they get there, the stone's rolled away angels seated up on top of the stone and said, he's not here you're looking for the resurrection you're looking for the life, don't come to the graveyard he ain't here this is for dead people. He's alive, but come see the place where the Lord lay. And behold, he goeth before you. Hey, uns! he goeth before us through Galilee. Let's follow him, amen. amen. Said, go down there and you'll see him. Mary couldn't hardly believe it. The other women run away shouting, but Mary, oh, he'd cast seven demons out of her. She said, I don't have nobody to run and tell. I don't have any friends, really. Oh, she's weeping. She sees somebody standing there that she thought was the gardener. She said, Sir, where have you laid him? He that was in the tomb, if you've taken him somewhere else, if you've borne him hence, tell me. He turns, who she thought to be the gardener said, Mary. She knew immediately. Nobody ever spoke her name just like Jesus Son, my mom and daddy named me Darren. I've heard them call me Darren Gregory. I knew I was in trouble then. I, I, I've heard them call me DG. I, I, I'm telling you, I, I've heard many. My mom and dad tenderly call. Man, I, I love to hear my daddy's voice. I love to hear my mama tenderly call, praying over me. Or, But, but nobody, <laughs> nobody ever spoke to me Amen. like Jesus. Amen. She turned. She knew his voice. She said, Dropping to her knees. Ramona, Which is to say? Master. Not only are you my master, but you're master of the storm. You're master over death. You're master over hell. You're master over the grave. You that were dead are alive and well. He said, go tell my disciples. There shall they see me. I just want to say this to y'all and I won't try to quit. Church. I hope I presented Jesus to tell you today, he's alive. Well, Preacher, Darren, you think he's alive. Honey, I know he's alive. I have staked everything I am or ever will be on one thing, Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, the Son of Almighty God. And the cross was not an end for Jesus. And one of these days, Brother Bobby, if I have to go through the keyhole of death, amen, I'll be more alive than I've ever been, amen. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And it's because of the power of the cross of Calvary. You see, Pilate said to the crowd, what shall I do then with Jesus? Who is called the Christ? It's a good question. It's a personal question. Don't ask me a personal question. It's a pressing question. It's happening right now. Can I ask you something? What will you do with Jesus? Oh, preacher and I got saved three years ago. Preacher Near and I got saved three weeks ago. Preacher and I got saved 30 years ago. Preacher, well, why ain't you still worshiping him? Why ain't you still making your way up to an old-fashioned altar to bow your knee and say, Lord, I, just, I haven't told you today, but Lord, I want to tell you, I love you. I love you, Lord. And I live my life in a way that's pleasing to you. And I bow my knee to you this morning. And for someone that's here that's never been saved, I'm going to tell you something. After all he put his son through, if you spit on him and you say, that's not for me, Hell will be your own choice. It'll be your own doings. And there's where you're gonna go. So I ask you the question. What will you do with Jesus? Which is called Christ. One day, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And when he bowed his head, he checked into hotel death. And he walks up to the registry. And death said, the devil told me you was coming. Said you was on a cross going to die. He said everybody that comes through death signs up right here. I've got Abel. I've got Abraham. I've got Isaac and Jacob. I've got Noah. I've got Moses, that man of God. I've got David, the man after God's own heart. I've got Isaiah and and Daniel and Ezekiel. i got them all. And I knew one day I'd get you too. So sign my registry. He spins it around after Jesus signs. He says, what is that? What's those two words? I've never seen that signature before. What does I am mean? I am the resurrection and the life. <laughs> I am he that was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Amen. And if any man believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he says, name in that crown. Let's go. And death lost his grip that day. Death has no hold on me. Amen. I'm on my way. Praise God, I'm on my way. Amen that's the power of the cross. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Brother Seth, if you'd come, maybe there's somebody here, you'd you'd like to bow the knee today. You'd like to say, Lord, I just want to tell you that I love you. I I just want to bow my knee today. After I hear all you've done for me, surely, surely I could do something for you. I could bow my knee Surely I could call on your name. Surely I could thank you today. Folks are coming. What a crowd. What a crowd. God bless you. What a crowd. What a crowd. Would you come? Oh, the Lord's dealing with you today. Come on right now. Bow that knee. Render your heart to Jesus. He that bore your sins. He's worthy this morning, church. He's worthy of your knee bowing. He's worthy of your worship. He's worthy of your submission. He's worthy this morning. Would you come? We're still paused, and maybe you're at home. Would you come? Come on, right now! I'm going to bow my knee before my Savior. That's the power of the cross in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. Oh, is there anybody here to say, Pastor Darren, I've never been saved. I want to be saved today, preacher, but I don't really know what to do. Preacher, will you pray? For, is there somebody? You slip up your hand right now. I'm look, God's looking. Is anybody said, preacher? I want to be saved. I've never been saved. Father, this morning, to the best of my knowledge with the question, everyone here has said and professed they've been saved by Jesus' blood when they place faith in your works and in your name. Lord, today, I want to bow my head and tell you this morning, Lord. Will you hear me, Lord? Hear me. I love you. And I worship you. I thank you. You washed me of all my sins. And you took my cross. You paid the price you're the ransom that I might go free and what have I done with this freedom have I spent my freedom Lord upon myself yes it ought to be taking my freedom to share with others about the power of your cross to change men's lives I've seen it again this week (laughs) Lord I love you Help us, God, from this day forward. Lord, to be faithful, to be closer to you than we were when we came in. We love you this morning. And we thank you in Jesus' name, in Jesus' blood. Amen and amen.